today we are going to start a conversation um, about about spiritual abuse and really us how do we how do we respond uh, to spiritual abuse how do how do we respond when uh, spiritual abuse happens and, and church hurt happens and obviously there's there's other kinds of spiritual abuse and spiritual abuse happens in other places than the church but for many of us uh, who are Christian or have been around Christendom many of us the expression of spiritual abuse that we have experienced has has manifested itself as church hurt and so I have felt led for some time for us to have a conversation about spiritual abuse as We've been praying and preparing for uh, this particular conversation. I, I want to acknowledge to you that it's been it's been actually really quite heavy. Um, it's been honestly depressing at times in study and in preparation for this particular series. The stories that I've read, um, my own experiences, the experiences of people I know and I love. It's been difficult to deal with, but we felt, Desiree and I have felt very impressed by the Holy Spirit to have this conversation, for us to, to bring it into the light together. Because uh, we believe, we know, spiritual abuse absolutely, absolutely happens. And that there are many of us in this room who have experienced it. There are many of us who have people that we love and that we care about who are not walking with Jesus, who are far from God, who refuse to have anything to do with the church because of their experience or the experience of someone they know or they love with spiritual abuse. As we were talking and preparing for this weekend, we even had a conversation yesterday, and it's important to me that I begin I begin this talk today by, by saying this to you. It, it is with a great deal of humility and care um, that I, I want to begin this conversation on spiritual abuse. I've been a credentialed minister for 28 years. I know that's hard to believe because of obviously all of this. Thank you. From those 28 years, I carry the weight of the mistakes that I've made. Of times in which I have been careless, childish, selfish, ignorant, or just plain wrong as a leader. I've hurt people through my mistakes, and I have also unintentionally hurt people because perhaps as the leader, I didn't do what they wanted me to do the way they wanted me to do it. I've also unintentionally hurt people because perhaps a moral, ethical, or legal limitation prevented me from being able to fully satisfy their sense of justice or render a decision the way that they could understand or that made sense to them. That is the weight 
of leadership. I'd be lying to not acknowledge that there are days in which I am haunted by my mistakes. It would be wrong of me to not acknowledge that the weight of longevity in leadership and actually still having a conscience does not render me at times broken over the mistakes that I've made. No platitude will take that away. The things that happen as a result of leading are heavy and difficult. And these things are only more amplified by the fact that for most of my leadership life, I've led cross-culturally or in an intercultural situation, meaning that I'm not just leading people who are just like me or think like me or see the world the same way that I see the world. I, there are times when I don't know that I hurt people because I don't know any better. As you look around the room this morning, you see that there are a lot of people who don't look like you, who don't think like you, who don't come from the same culture that you come from. There are times when I hurt you and I don't even know that I hurt you because I have no idea what hurts you. And yet that's the kind of leadership that God has called me to. So today when we approach this idea or this concept of church hurt or more specifically Spiritual abuse, I want you to understand it's important to Desiree and I that we acknowledge that we come to this conversation from a place of grief and self-reflection. We don't come to it from a place of pride or the assumption that we have it all figured out because we certainly do not. We don't come to this conversation from an attitude that we are better than others or that we are somehow exempt from making mistakes. We are merely lumps of clay surrendered to Jesus, asking him to help us better reflect his nature and character to his children. We come with a reverence heed to his word in Matthew chapter 18, where he warned those who might injure or hurt or prevent his children from getting to him. Woe to those who offend these little ones. We come to this conversation very seriously taking James' words in chapter 3, verse 1 of his letter, where he says, those who teach will be doubly judged. I can't just take it out of the Bible because I don't like it. For 27 years, I've lived under the light, not the limelight of accolade or people's applause, but the light that when I get up and talk, it's taken seriously and I'm held doubly responsible. And so when I come to a conversation about spiritual abuse, I have to, I have to say, I have to say, I understand that my life, my ministry, my leadership is under the light of double judgment. And if I'm gonna talk about spiritual abuse and if I'm gonna talk about church hurt, I better do it with a conscience 
that has been laid bare before the Lord. Acknowledging and understanding. I've made mistakes and I am in need of grace and mercy. I'm in need of God's love. Desert and I understand that we must double examine our lives and our motives in everything that we do in leadership and life and ministry. And although we know in spite of our best efforts, we cannot find record of exploitive abuse, we have caused hurt and we're in need of God's help. So North Place, as we begin this conversation today, let's not do so as people who are prideful, are arrogant, or think that somehow or another, because we're North Place, we're better than anybody else. But instead, as we begin this conversation, let's collectively decide that we're coming humbly before the Lord and asking Him to create a community among us in which we, we walk with love and honesty, in which we walk with humility and an expectation that we will be held accountable not only by His Spirit, but that we will hold each other accountable. I, um, I was talking with Desra a couple of days ago, you know, when we, we had flown back to the States for her, her grandfather's funeral, and thank you, so many of you sent us messages uh, either through Facebook Messenger or Instagram or something and express your kindness and love to us and our family. And thank you for that. We, we can't tell you how much it means to us that, that your, your kindness and expressions of love to us during this time. But we went and had the services and it really was beautiful. And after, after the services, we were you know home in our home area and we were eating one day. And when you're home, You've been away from home for a long time. You get nostalgic and you start to tell stories. Any of you ever do that? Yeah, so we were uh, talking and laughing and telling stories. And, and um, I was laughing about just different things. And, I, and, I, and I, we were talking about the different seasons of our life and the people that we've become close to in the different seasons of our life. And I was laughing about the fact that really, those of you here at North Place... Uh, you know, I've known some of you now six years or so, uh, but you've only known me in this role and in this season. And certainly uh, because of my role and, and getting to be up here and speak, you hear stories about my life. But you only know me from what you see here and what you see now. You, you don't know me uh, from my childhood. You don't know me during my teenage years. And like any other person, I've grown and changed and and been interested in and did different things in different seasons of my life. And um, I was laughing about the fact that that in this season of my life, as a 46-year-old pastor, um, you know me for, for what I do. And most for most of you, your experience of me is on this stage on Sunday morning. We may greet and chat, but your, your biggest, the way you know me is this bookish little guy up on stage who talks about all this stuff and always says he has more notes than he has time and et cetera, et cetera. And, and we're always hoping he gets us out by, by 11 and seems to have a lot of words and all of this stuff. And so you know this part of me, but you don't really know other, other parts of me. And, 
probably think of me as this, you know, nerdy little bookish guy. He's, he's adorable. We love him, but... <laughs> but really, um, I've told you this, but really, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily my life growing up. I was, uh, I was as a kid, as a, as a teenager, I was someone you guys would have called sporty. I was more sporty. I, didn't, I don't have the accent, I know. But I wasn't, like, I wasn't into, like, reading bunches of books and stuff. I played a lot of sports, and it was, uh, that's, that's what I did. That's, that's how I, that's what I did growing up. And I remember um, that oftentimes when you play a lot of sports and you play sports that are, that are really physical, you have times where you, where you get hurt. Any of you have ever been hurt playing sports? Yeah, a few of you. Uh, I guess I guess only the bookish people are here today. Um, and I, I remember um, sometimes, you know, being on the field, being physical contact or something, getting knocked down or whatever may may be the case. And I I remember a coach coming up to me after one particular really hard collision, and he said. He said to me, he said, I'm laying on the ground, the, the game is delayed, and he comes up to me and he says, Freeman, are you, are you in pain or are you injured? Now, I had, I had just had the breath knocked out of me. I could barely speak. But I certainly didn't want to get taken out of the game because that was the worst thing that could happen to me at that point in my life. So with the last little breath uh, that I had, I, I was managed to eke out, no, I'm, I, it just hurts a little bit, I'm okay, coach, and I jump up. I wasn't injured because to be injured meant... I was going to be taken out of the game. To be injured meant that the game was over for me. I was sidelined. To be in pain just meant that that it hurt a little bit, but it wasn't over. Right? Any of you ever have an experience like that? Any of your coaches, wherever that way, or do you have the lights, oh, I love you, you okay, baby? Those coaches. Did you have the kind of coaches that everybody got a trophy, or did you have the kind of coaches that if you weren't first, you were you were the biggest loser? Yeah, some of you grew up like I did. There was no second place. There was the winner, and everybody else was the loser. That's how I grew up, and that's what I thought. Um, but there was a difference between experiencing pain and being injured, and that mindset really stuck with me throughout life. And, and Desiree and I have, you know, parented our, our kids that way. Are you bleeding? Oh, you're not bleeding? Is anything broken? Oh, nothing's broken? Then you're okay. Get up. Let's go. Some people call that tough love. We just call it life. I mean, that's just that translated into how we, uh, we, we live our lives. Well, as, as we approach this conversation on spiritual abuse, I, I felt like I felt like we needed to have some sort of rules of engagement for the conversation. 
Now, I'm not going to say that necessarily all of you will agree with the statement I'm about to make, but I, I needed to make this statement, and I needed you to understand how I'm approaching this conversation. I believe that I believe that what I'm about to say is true. You may not agree with this statement, but it's important to you, to me, that you understand that for the next couple of weeks, that when I talk about spiritual abuse and we talk about these things that are hard and difficult and complicated, that I am drawing some distinctions. And regardless of whether you agree with me or not, I want you to understand these distinctions because these distinctions will guide our conversation. And, and this, this is what I want you to hear this morning. Not everything that causes me pain is an injury. And every injury is not the result of abuse. In life... There are things that cause me pain, and they are not an injury. It may hurt me, but it hasn't injured me. I'm able to get up and keep going. There's times when I, and it seems to happen as I get older, I tweak my ankle, but I don't need to go to the doctor because my ankle isn't broken. Are you with me? I may, I may walk around a little tenderly a little bit, but baby, I'm not going to the doctor. I am okay, right? There are things that cause me pain, but they haven't injured me. And there are times when I've been injured and that injury happened, but it didn't happen because someone or something exploited me. Every injury that has happened in my life haven't happened because I have been targeted. Because someone has come after me. Because there's a conspiracy against me. Sometimes I twist my ankle and I'm injured because I tripped. Not because somebody walked up and kicked me. Are you with me? Sometimes... Life happens and I get injured. Sometimes unintentionally somebody may do something that hurts me, but they're not necessarily abusing me. When we approach this conversation of spiritual abuse, I want you to understand that we are talking about spiritual abuse. Every one of us in this room have experienced pain. And sometimes that pain, sometimes that pain can be characterized, can be characterized as an injury. And some of, this peop, some of us in this room have been injured because of someone's mistake or carelessness or simply they didn't know any better. But then there are others of us in this room who have experienced the sting of exploitation. We've experienced being targeted. We have experienced someone intentionally, intentionally abusing us. And there is a difference between those things. In this room, there are those of us who have been hurt 
in and by the church. It's caused us not just pain, but has injured us. And for some of us, that hurt has happened not out of someone's malice, but perhaps by mistake or carelessness. That's not the same thing as abuse. It's not the same thing as abuse. But some of us have been abused. First thing that I wanted you to, to challenge you with this morning, because you all showed up. I've been, I've been telling you this sermon was coming, and you all showed up. Hello? And you were all ready. Like, you came in today. You were like, I can't wait to hear this one, because this woman did this to me. That pastor did that to me. We all showed up for a reason. Some of us are here and we've experienced hurt. And the first challenge that I wanted to offer you today is will you, for a moment, suspend, suspend judgment and just allow the Holy Spirit to begin to shine light into your heart and life for a moment. And in spite of the case that you've built up in your mind and emotions, for just a moment, will you allow the Holy Spirit to soften that place in your heart where that scab exists because injury has happened? And just allow the Holy Spirit to whisper in your heart and ear, son, maybe it wasn't abuse. You're hurt. Maybe it wasn't abuse. Daughter, I know, I know you have a limp. I know, I know, I know you walk with a limp in that area of your life. But that person that you, you've built this case in your mind that they intentionally did this to you. Maybe, maybe they didn't intentionally do this to you. Maybe, maybe it was out of their brokenness. Maybe it was out of their sin. Maybe it was out of their ignorance. Maybe it was out of their arrogance. But they weren't smart enough or good enough to abuse you. They hurt you, but they didn't abuse you, and there's a difference. I want to talk about spiritual abuse for the next couple of weeks, and I believe that in doing so, the Lord is going to bring healing to many of us. You see, spiritual abuse is the chronic mistreatment of an individual or peoples by means of leveraging supposed spiritual authority or sacred texts knowledge for the perpetuation of control, gratification, glory, or enrichment of another. I'm going to read that to you again. Spiritual abuse is the chronic mistreatment of an individual or people's by means of leveraging supposed spiritual authority or sacred texts knowledge for the perpetuation of control, gratification, glory, or enrichment of another. It's important that we define and understand what spiritual abuse is. Not all pain, not all pain is abuse. Not all hurt is abuse. It exists, it should be acknowledged, and we need healing. And for those who hurt or wounded, 
for those who hurt or wounded certainly, hear me, certainly should be held accountable. Just as I began this message today by trying my best to be accountable to you and to acknowledge that I certainly have hurt people. I am not in any way saying that there should not be accountability when hurt happens. But I am saying that if we're going to move forward, we have to know the difference between an injury and abuse. I believe God's word has encouragement for those of us who have been hurt and those of us who have been injured. I believe God has healing for us. This conversation is a little deeper than simply an accident happened or an inconvenience happened or a mistake happened. This conversation is when it moves beyond that and a person or a system exploits, uses what we call abuses people. When spiritual authority is used to control, to manipulate, to hold people in a mindset or way of life so that they can be used for one's own enrichment, for one's own gain, for one's own need to feel their own insecurities or brokenness, to create my kingdom or my glory or to gratify myself, that's abuse. Jesus had some very strong and heavy words towards abusers and towards those who would leverage their pretend authority to control or manipulate people. He had some very strong words for those who would twist God's word, who would bastardize God's word so that they might enrich themselves. During this season of preparation for today's next week's messages, I have vacillated between a place of absolute sorrow over my own mistakes and asking the Holy Spirit to examine every part of my life and search out any motive or any place in me in which I've used the stage or my ordination or my education or my role as a pastor to somehow or another exploit me. I have tried my hardest to lay bare before the Lord and examine these 27 years of ministry and say, show me, Lord, let me be, let me be repentant of any time. And I've vacillated between that place to a place of white-hot anger. White-hot anger. As I have observed, shattered and broken, the deformed, the disrupted lives of people who've been used and abused by those in spiritual authority. Matthew chapter 23, we're going to camp out there because Jesus has some really strong words for some religious authorities. Now, I, I, need, I need you to understand this. Um, please, as you study your Bible, when, when Jesus talks about the Pharisees 
and he often does, the Pharisees and the synagogue are not, hear me, are not an equivalent to the church. It's bad theology. It's bad use of the Bible to when I read Pharisee or when I read synagogue to say, yeah, that was the church of its day. No, it wasn't. That's poor Bible teaching, and I've done it. That's wrong. The synagogue and the Pharisees were not Christians, and it was not the church. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, I know that because Jesus inaugurated the church. And if you read Acts chapter 2, what you understand, up until that point of history, the Holy Spirit did not indwell people. And although they were keepers of the law, they were not Christians. So you cannot take the Pharisees or the synagogue as an equivalent to the church. It is an equivalent of abusive spiritual authority. It is an equivalent of religious people who are following a set of rules but do not have nor do not demonstrate the heart of God. So Jesus is addressing oppressive religious leaders. This message that Jesus is teaching right now doesn't just apply to the church. Any oppressive spiritual authority, supposed spiritual authority, Jesus is talking about them. So this that we're going to talk about today really relates not just to the Christian church, but you could go to you could go to any place of worship or spiritual enlightenment anywhere in the world and the principles that we're about to learn applies. It applies to our Islamic friends, it, appro- it applies to our Hindu friends, it applies to our our humanist uh, guru friends. It applies to everybody. Jesus is talking about oppressive and repressive spiritual authorities. This is what he says, Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So remember, Jesus is balancing this dance between the fact that they have the law, but they do not have the heart of God. And he says this, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, referring specifically to the law. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love to place of honor. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one 
Father, and he is in heaven. Just reading the Bible right now is starting to mess with some of you. Me, I don't even have to say anything. I've been walking around here for five years and somebody, some of you guys have been treating me as if I'm the walking version of Jesus. Some of your children are scared to talk to me. It's the truth. I'm not making a joke right now. Some of your children are scared to talk to me because I'm the pastor of the church. And our theology has taught them that somehow I'm supposed to be treated like, I'm just reading the Bible. Well, that's our culture. Well, Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Just real quickly, I want to go through just a few things we see. We're going to do the, the last part of this chapter next week. There's seven woes that Jesus gives concerning the spiritual abuser, the false religious authority. But just in his opening remarks, I just want to show you a few things. See, if you read the preceding chapters, and I know we all here at North Place, we read our Bibles in context. We don't take verses of Scripture out of context and make bumper stickers of them and, and use them to manipulate people to get them to do what we We don't do that here at North Place. We read our Bibles in context. And so you got to understand the context of this chapter is that for the last several chapters, these spiritual authorities have been so bothered by Jesus' authentic ministry in which he loves people and is exalting people in light of the love of God rather than exalting himself. He'd been walking around and doing signs and wonders and miracles. And so instead of uh, creating an Instagram account or a Facebook account and promoting himself about it, instead he's telling people, hey, don't say anything about it because it's, it's not about me, it's about the Father. He's doing everything the opposite. He's not building his platform or his ministry. He doesn't have a marketing strategy to grow his campaign. Instead, he's running around just loving people. This weird stuff. He's not trying to grow his bank account or buy new airplanes or get a brighter, sharper car or wear a shinier. He's just, he's doing stuff that's really irritating and confusing and counter-cultural. And so they're following him around and they're questioning everything he does. They're questioning his motives. They're trying to catch him on little religious mistakes that he may make. So for several chapters, this has been going on. They've been following him around. They've been trying. And after a while, he just says, okay, let's just, 
let's just go ahead, let's talk about the elephant in the room. And then he unloads in Matthew chapter 23. And in his opening statements, he just lets us in a little bit about what spiritual abuse is like. See, spiritual abuse is rooted, it's rooted in the exception premise. You can, you can smell, you can sense, you can see um, spiritual abuse because spiritual abuse is rooted in a culture of exceptions. There are these people who are the exception to the rule. Here's the rules, and everybody's got to follow the rules. They, they know the rules. They're good at telling everybody the rules, but they are, there's a certain class, there's a certain group of people who are the exception to the rule. They know the law of Moses, but they don't do the law of Moses. They know all the rules, they know all the right things to do, but they don't practice, they don't practice what they preach. Jesus says, listen, in an abusive, in an abusive system, in an abusive system, the people who are in charge, they don't practice what they preach. They hold you to heavy loads that they're unwilling to even move their finger to do anything about you got to do all the stuff but they don't have to do the stuff because they have they they're the leader they're the anointed they're the man of god they're the first lady of the church they're the guru they're the enlightened one and this rule applies to you but it doesn't apply to them Spiritual abuse maintains its false power through empty appearances. They're a false authority, and the way that that authority is enforced is through the show. Their phylacteries are large. Their tassels are long. They put on the show. They have the appearance. They have the degrees. They wear the clothes they drive the car, they know the 500 grand words, but it's not real, it's a facade. If you peek behind the curtain, if you look into their life, it's not true, it's not real, it's false. And what is so crazy about abusive systems, what is so crazy about abusive leaders is that we know it's not true. We know it's not real, but we start to make excuses for it. We know he's a liar, but we just excuse it because, well, after all, he's the man of God, so he can't really be lying. We know he's being... We know she's being manipulative in this environment. We feel the sting of her hatefulness and her rudeness, but she's got the title, so it's me who's wrong, not them. Think about 
abusive relationships is that abusive relationships are twisted in such a way that ultimately the people who are being abused prop up the abuser or the abusive systems by making excuses for it because of the title. He must be blessed. Look at how shiny his suit is. He must be really anointed. Look at how many cars he has. Now, never mind the fact that he's taken scripture out of context over and over and over again and promised people if they would give their last rand to Jesus that they would somehow get rich quick. He's promised people all kinds of garbage that isn't in the Bible that he made up and twisted and manipulated to buy all of those cars. But the very fact that he has the cars must mean that he's the man of God. This is the part where the white heart anger comes in. Because I see God's people like under this heavy, heavy weight. And somehow in our abused spirits and minds, we just keep propping it up. And the very signs and symbols that have absolutely nothing to do with the character and nature of Jesus... We have said, oh, that means that they must be the man or woman of God. It's empty. It's powerless. No, I saw him lay hands on people and they fell down. Yes, he pushed them. There's 500 people looking at you. There's 500 people looking at you. You're 22 years old. You're in a room full of 500 people. He's the supposed prophet or man of God. And 500 people are looking at you. You're this wayward sinner who just wants to come to Jesus. 500 people are looking at you, expecting you to fall on the floor. What do you think you're going to do when he comes and lays his hand on you like this? You're going to fall down because if you don't, nothing is wrong with him. Something must be wrong with you. What do you think is going to happen? He's preached all over the world, has three jet planes. Look at how shiny his suit is. It's like it's been plugged in. Of course, if you don't fall down, something's wrong with you, not him. Pastor, do you not believe that God's power doesn't fall on people and they fall down? No, I 100% believe and know that it's happened. It's fell on me and I've fell down. Those real experiences happen. I'm not, I'm not opposed to those real experiences. In fact, more than I long for anything, I long for you to have real experiences with God his presence but I wonder can we get there as a church as long as we're chasing giant phylacteries and long tassels and deifying people live daily more under demonic oppression than they do the divine power of God. How do I know? Well, I know Jesus taught me. I know because of their fruit. 
I know because I look behind the curtain, I talk to them. I see the way they treat the waitress at the restaurant. I see the way they treat the cleaner. I watch for the fruit in their life and how they treat the person who can't do anything for them. I observe whether or not they love everyone the same way or only the people with big bank accounts. Jesus, Jesus said, listen, this nonsense about giving people titles kingdom check yourselves don't call people father or rabbi uh, pastor you're you're upsetting me this morning you're the father of our church listen i get i get it i understand your heart and i appreciate your love and your respect and i promise you there are people in my life that i give love and respect i'm not talking about genuine authentic love and respect i am concerned however i am concerned about a hierarchy of self-importance. See, spiritual abuse is rooted in a hierarchy of self-importance. Abusive systems and abusive people live in a hierarchy of self-importance. Something's wrong when your kids won't talk to me because they're scared of the pastor. Something is wrong when because of my title or my education or because of my role that somehow or another I'm exempted from accountability. I've got one wife, and I'm accountable to how I treat her. I'm accountable to how I parent my children. I'm accountable to you as my brother and sister in Christ. I'm not exempt from the rules. The garbage or the nonsense that I'm somehow exempt or that a spiritual leader is somehow exempt. Folks, as the body of Christ, we have to speak truth to these things. We can't create hierarchies that glorify some people and denigrate others. And the idea that it is All self-imposed, self-importance. Jesus laid out the kingdom so clearly. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You can break an abusive system by refusing, by refusing to participate in a culture of self-importance. know my role, I know my authority, I understand, but my role and my authority doesn't come from a place of pride, it doesn't come from a place of anything that I've earned or anything that I've done, 
I am where I am and who I am because it's God's will and God's design. And as easy as he's placed me in this role, he could place somebody else in this role. I'm no, listen, this is going to mess with some of your theology, but you need to hear it. And it's scripture. I am no more anointed than you are. I have no more of the Holy Spirit than you do. I have a different role. I have a different set of responsibilities. But the same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in you. I'm not more powerful than you. Nobody on TV, no pro, no one's. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, no one is more powerful than you. That is not in the Bible. We all have the same spirit of Christ inside of us. The truth is, some of us are more yielded to the gifts of God than others. Some of us are more obedient to the gifts of God than others. But none of us are more anointed than anyone else. Systems of spiritual abuse love to categorize us, to isolate us. To label us based on structures that give some more attention and more power than others. Yet Jesus says in the kingdom of God, the kingdom way, the way of Jesus is to humble yourself. Pastor, how do, how do I know if I've bought into an abusive system or if I've been abused? Then these things that Jesus talked about, just allow the Holy Spirit to examine your life. Have I lived in, been subjected to, or allowed things to be written on my heart by a place or a person who lived with the exception mindset, that they were the exception to the rules that they enforced that I live by? Have I... Do I live in, dwell, or allow things to be written on my heart by false powers and false authorities who are only maintained through empty appearance? Have I, do I allow things to be determined about myself, choices or decisions to be lived out in my life based on hierarchy of self-importance? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, I am... Talking about himself, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Abusive systems are busted by a culture that says we must serve one another, not exploit one another, not use one another, not control one another, not manipulate one another, not try to get out of others what I can get out of them. 
but a system that reflects the kingdom of God is one of service, of sacrifice, of says that I'm here for your best interest, not mine. I love you so much. But some of you, I can't even teach you what the Bible teaches about finances in the kingdom of God because there's so much garbage that has been written on your heart, so much spiritual abuse that's been done to you in the name of scripture so somebody could get rich or make sure they got their paycheck that you're not, ever, you're not even ready to receive what God's word says about finances. Every time I preach or mention tithing, you, you clam up because someone has cracked the whip of nonsense to get everything out of you they could possibly get. So you're not living in the kingdom of God as it relates to finances because your heart is so shattered in the issue. God has put on my heart to teach a series on biblical sexuality. And I've just been waiting, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and praying and praying and praying. And it's absolutely necessary for me to teach this series. But I'm just asking God, when can I do it? When will it be safe? There are some of you who have been so objectified by spiritual authorities in your life. Some of you women in this church, you've been used and abused. People have made rude and terrible comments to you. They have used you in a way that is unspeakable. That for me to talk about biblical sexuality right now would be so traumatizing to you. Some of you men have been taught such nonsense as it relates to sexuality that for me to teach on it right now, you wouldn't hear a word I said and you would only come out of it thinking of the power that you had to get what you want when you wanted it. If I tried to teach a balanced view of biblical sexuality right now. Spiritual abuse messes us up. This series is about God challenging those abuses that have happened in our life and asking ourselves what I think, what I believe, what I feel, and what I know. Is it real? Is it true? Is it based on the kingdom of God? Jesus taught very, very clearly about abusive leaders and abusive systems. I'm asking you right now, will you allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart search your life what you believe what you think has it come from the good shepherd what's written there is it the words of a good shepherd or is it the words of a system that's been rooted in hypocrisy has it come from a place of false power and empty appearance has it come from self-important, insecure, broken people or a king who would lay down his life for you whose interest was not his own but was you.